Last week, we began a three-week look at a nine-verse passage from Colossians. It's Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 uh, through chapter 4, verse 1. And in this passage, Paul brings the gospel up close and personal. See, we all get pretty good at putting on a good Christian-looking face when we're around acquaintances. We can fool them pretty easy. But good luck fooling our spouse or kids or co-workers and bosses. And it's true. The gospel is not good news unless it brings goodness to the up-close relationships that matter. Last week we looked at how the gospel is to be the center of a, of a marriage between husband and wife. And today we turn our attention to parents and children. And so let me begin by asking you, those of you who are children in the home, do you have any regrets for how you've acted towards your parents? And for those of you who are parents, do you as well have any regrets for how you've acted towards your children? Parents and children, do you wish for better relationships in the home? Let's read all of the passage that we're looking at these three weeks, but we will focus on verses 20 and 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, uh, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service and people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Once again, Father God, we are in a difficult passage. What <clears throat> this, this passage itself hits close to home, literally. As we study this passage, may you work humility in us. May we not think only of how others in our family could benefit from this teaching, but how we ourselves must benefit from it. Fill us with your spirit now, we pray. Amen. At the end of their lives, great people are often interviewed, and inevitably uh, the question arises, if you could go back and do one thing over, what would it be? Tell me, Grace Church, what is the most common answer you hear to that question? How many times have you seen some old famous person say, what in my life would I change? Not one thing. When I was younger, I relished the thought of being able to boldly declare to the world that, that I would not change a thing. I've come to see differently now. Perhaps you do as well, too. Now, I'm not saying I... Um, would change the difficult things in my past that have shaped me. 
And we all agree that God is able to use hardship in our lives to mold our character, to be more like Christ. Things like marital problems and economic recessions and even global pandemics have a way of humbling us before God and causing us to admit our creatureliness and lack of power and turn to him. But saying at the end of your life, I would not change a thing, betrays an arrogance coupled with a lack of self-awareness. Could you imagine uh, 60 Minutes interviewing a titan of industry and, and, and ask him on camera, would you change anything? And he says, no, not a thing. And then all the people he used and abused to rise to the top were brought in on the set for an intervention. His former business partners that he screwed over, his employees that he treated like dirt, his first, second, and third wives, and the estranged kids who at the end of the day, they just wanted to have a, a dad who loved them instead of uh, giving them money. Imagine, imagine the look of the business tycoon's face when, when everyone um, that he walked all over during his life stood before him with their serious looks on their faces and all on live TV. Well, an intervention isn't just necessary for that man. It is what we all need, if we're honest. A real and honest deep dive into how our selfish tendencies mar relationships at home and at work. And my friends, that is what the gospel does for us in this passage. This, the gospel brings about an intervention that produces godly regrets and holy good commitments. See, the gospel says this to both that arrogant business tycoon and to us. It says, cheer up. You are far more sinful than you could ever imagine, but also far more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than you ever dared to dream. See, Christians have been brought under the umbrella of God's grace, which allows us to become honest about our shortcomings in a healthy way and then look to Christ and follow after him. And here is what Paul has been teaching us so far in Colossians. He, he wants us to understand that essentially Jesus is saying, you cannot simultaneously follow after me and be unchanged. Today's sermon is titled, New Creations, Old Situations, part two. In Christ, we are new creations. And, and we, new, we are new creations which find ourselves living for Christ in old situations. Last week, we looked at marriage. Next week, we will look at the workplace. This week, we focus on parents and children. This past week, I've been meditating upon these two verses before us, and I've asked myself the tough question. If I could relive my life, would I change anything? And my honest answer is that I would want to change a lot. I would truly want to change what kind of child I was in the home as a kid. And I would want to change what kind of father I've been to my kids. How about you? This morning, we're going to divide our time into two areas. There are going to be two main points. First, we're going to see that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, calls children 
to a loving obedience like his. And then we will see that God the Father calls parents to lovingly parent like God the Father lovingly parents us. So first, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, calls children to a loving obedience like his. The big idea here is this. Just as Jesus' loving obedience to his heavenly Father was a good and beautiful thing, so too our obedience to our earthly parents is a good and beautiful thing. First, verse 20, we read there, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Boys will be boys. You've heard that phrase before. <laughs> well, if that phrase hadn't been invented yet, trust me, the middle cough boys would have been cause for its creation. Boys will be boys. And my brother and I, we were little terrors. As toddlers and small boys, my mother could not turn her gaze from us for a second before one of us punched the other, usually it's my bigger brother punching me, um, or the entire refrigerator was emptied of all of its contents and spread upon the floor, or all of the flowers in the garden were pulled up by their roots. Yeah, that was me. But at some point, those boys who will be boys, listen, need to become children who honor and obey their parents. For me, as I grew, it was, it was hit or miss. And even many of the times that I obeyed my father or mother, it was not so much out of love, but more out of wanting to avoid punishment or to make my parents more eager to get me something or do something for me. You know, the other day, it was just like three or four days ago, um, one of my daughters out of the blue said, Dad, I love you so much. What do you want? Was my reply. And she started laughing because I saw through her engendered remarks. She wanted something, so she told me she loved me. How cute. When I look at by, back at my teenage years, what I see and remember was a lot of Mark Middlecoff disobeying and dishonoring his parents. My dad was an alcoholic who often embarrassed me. That's still no excuse. And my mother was generally a nice mom who was really in over her head with John and me. As a child, my life was all about me. Why is that? We're all born sinners with hearts that are turned in on ourselves. My life was all about me. And, and I thought of my parents as both obstacles to me having fun as well as a means to my desired ends. They would take me places and buy me things. And I took my parents for granted. And at times I lied to them and I disobeyed them. Now today, if I could do it all over, I would change some things. Not that I wouldn't be, still be a sinner who needs a lot of grace. <coughs> Not that I would perfectly succeed. But I would like to go back as a Christian child and out of love seek to honor and obey my parents. To actually relate with them, to them, with the grace that they needed from me. Think this through. Obedience is good. Every human being needs to submit daily and obey all kinds of authorities, whether you're a child or a parent or a Supreme Court judge even. 
Imagine if, if no one obeyed stoplights. What if n- no one obeyed the law and, and paid the taxes they owed? What if privates in the army did not obey their sergeants on the battlefield? Obedience is good. Obedience pro- promotes harmony and, and community flourishing and success. Do you see this? And consider this too. Disobedience is a sign that sin is still present in our lives. See, God created us in his image. He is our creator. We are the creatures under his loving rule. The right way to live in relation to God is obedience. And once again, when we look at the Trinity, what do we see? What do we see so beautifully displayed in the Godhead? God the Father and God the Son. Relating as equals. And yet, the Son, Jesus, submits to his Father in all things, and lives in perfect obedience. Disobedience is the opposite of how Jesus, the Savior of the world, lived. Look, if Jesus did not delight in pleasing his Father, if he was not committed in love to absolute obedience, understand this, the whole world and all of us today would be without hope. It was obedience that led him to the cross that brings about our salvation. Thankfully, though, all throughout Scripture, we see that Jesus, uh, we see him living in joyful, loving obedience to his Father in heaven. A wonderful passage that we read in, is in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 9. Here's what we read there. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him, that's God the Father, who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And listen, look at this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God the Father, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I think there's some questions in there. Of course, Melchizedek, I'm not going to explain him. Um, but the big question, I think, is, is, is how is it that Jesus learned obedience? It sounds weird. Well, it kind of makes sense when you look at the verses before in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, where we read of this high priest. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus learned obedience because he was tested and tempted in all kinds of ways like we are, yet he did not sin, which is why he is able to both save us and be our high priest who is able to sympathize with you and with me. So then how did Jesus learn obedience? Well, understand this. It doesn't mean that Jesus moved from disobedience to obedience. That's kind of what we have to do, right? It means that he moved from untested obedience to tested obedience, tried and proven obedience. See, in school, you can think yourself the smartest student. You may just be. But you will not know you're smart until you have to learn a new subject and be tested on it and get a perfect score. Christ did not know the obedience of suffering until he was tested and tasted the suffering of obedience. 
And every time, listen, every time he was tested to obedience with suffering, he passed. And with each test, he learned more and more. And his final exam, his final test was this. Would Jesus follow through and go to the cross? We are all familiar with Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, right before he was arrested and crucified the next day. He prayed three times. He even asked his disciples to stay awake and stay alert. They did not obey him. But there he is praying three times to his Father in heaven, asking if there could be any other way than the cross. And he ended his prayer each time saying, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was perfectly obedient, even to the point of death. My friends of all age groups, I hope you see that, o- that obedience is beautiful. Obedience fosters community flourishing and joy and harmony. With that background, let's look quickly at Paul's instruction and make some application for us this morning. Once again, Colossians 3.20, just the first part, where we read, Children, obey your parents in everything. When Paul says in everything, he is not telling children to do illegal or harmful things if their parents command them to, right? In case you're born into the Sopranos, I guess. And really, when we think about it, that's usually not our problem, is it? (laughs) Paul is addressing a child's tendency to pick and choose when it's convenient to obey or not. He is addressing our tendency to not obey until we're happy with the situation. He's addressing our tendency to withhold obedience in order to get back at our parents. Children watching today, do you see a tendency in yourself to obey sometimes, but not all times? In the second part of the verse, Paul gives you every reason for why children are to obey in everything. And what is it? What's the reason? Is it because, well, that's what good little Christians do, so go go obey? Is it because if you don't, you'll be punished? No. The reason is the best reason. Look at what Paul writes once again. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. For this pleases the Lord. Think about it. When you obey your earthly parents, Jesus is pleased with you. Why? Because it means the beautiful and pleasing life of obedience that Christ lived for you is being lived out in you. You are becoming more and more like Christ, which is a beautiful and praiseworthy thing. See, it takes Christ-like qualities to live in obedience. Qualities like humility, love, and patience. And it means that you no longer wish to live for your own needs and happiness but you now seek to honor Christ and live for his kingdom. It means you get it. Not that you won't have more to learn about obedience. Trust me, you will. But you are on the right path in life as you seek things that are above where Christ is seated. Now, consider this other point as well. Paul didn't write, obey your parents because it pleases your parents. Isn't it true that some parents can just be oh so hard to please? The mom who always, mom who always seems to, to nag or put a lot of undue pressure on you. The dad who never pats you on the back and says he's proud. Know this, 
even in the best homes, parents fall short. And so Paul is saying your parents' shortcomings and sinfulness is not an excuse for disobedience. How does that challenge you? That's pretty tough, isn't it? Are you one who evaluates how good your parents uh, have been before you begin to obey? And don't worry, Paul addresses the parents in the next sentence. The important point is this. Children, you need to see that there will be times when you need to forgive your parents. Most parents are trying to do their best, and it's hard. And sometimes parents sin. And so as you follow Christ, honor Christ and your parents by loving them and forgiving them and, yes, obeying them. For this pleases the Lord who loves you and gave his life for you. To the children who are here today, one last thought. Obedience is hard. There always seems to be 10,000 reasons not to obey. Things like, I'm tired, or all my friends' parents said it's okay, or you upset me earlier, or it's my brother's turn to cut the grass. I use that one a lot. And it can be even harder for kids who say, go away to college and experience life away from their parents. And then when they come home on break, they dig in their heels. Listen, there are always so many reasons we can think of to not obey. So know this. Obedience is hard, but it is also beautiful and good. And yes, it's even satisfying. And so when you find yourself being tempted to not obey, look to Jesus and remember what Hebrews says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is in heaven ready for you to come to him with your troubles, even, even hard, things like, hard things like forgiving your parents. And he knows about how hard it is to be obedient. He knows that parents can be unreasonable. He knows you are tempted to dig in your heels. So trust me, he's able to sympathize with you. He had to learn obedience. He knows what it's about. And he's able to give you the hope and the power to obey your parents and please the Lord. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, calls children to a loving obedience just like his. Now for our second and last point. God the Father calls parents to love, uh, God calls parents to lovingly parent like God the Father lovingly parents us. The big idea here is this. In love, God adopts us into his family and he parents us with perfection. And so how God parents is how we are to parent. I remember when I was a teenager, I often thought that when I get older and I had kids, I'd be the best parent ever. <laughs> Certainly better than my parent. <laughs> Any of you ever think that? <laughs> but then here's what happens. You get a little bit older and you get married, it's, it's then you actually begin to worry. And so instead of having kids right away, you do what? Yeah, you know, right? 
you go out and you get a dog or two. Now, for as much as I love dogs, I do not think they are what God had in mind for us when he gave us the command, be fruitful and multiply. I've done a lot of premarital counseling. In my sessions, I always touch on what the couple's expectations are with having kids. Often they're petrified with the thought. Oh, don't get me wrong, they want kids, but they just feel so inadequate. The, the task of raising kids seems impossible. Many prospective parents are worried they could be complete failures. So parenting is good, but it's also hard. As parents, our, our sinfulness impacts how we relate to our children, which is the reason for Paul's instruction in verse 21. There we read, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Why does Paul say fathers and not parents? It is not because the, the wife plays no role in parenting. I think it's because Paul knows what we all know. It's usually the father who is hard on the kids, right? Fathers have more of a tendency to be heavy-handed in the criticism and discipline than do mothers. I see this in my own home. When I get home at night and the kids are arguing or the house is a mess with their stuff, instead of asking what's going on and listening and caring for their souls, I can just bark out orders. And I'm afraid that my kids do actually get discouraged. Truthfully, that's the last thing I want. The role of parents and certainly fathers is to not just admonish or correct our kids, but also to nurture them. In the companion passage in Ephesians 6, Paul, um, Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Both nurture and admonition. Last week, we read of a, last week I read of a Christian who was raised by a prominent Christian father. In his testimony, he told his life story, and he talked about how he was raised in a Christian home under the nurture and admonition of his father, but mostly the admonition. Some parents, moms included, place unreasonable expectations on their kids. Think of all the moms who base their own identity upon how well-dressed and educated their kids are, how they get into the right schools and what have you. Or how many dads try to relive their sports glory days through their kids. And so here is where I'm challenged and where we must all be challenged. God's design for fathers and mothers is that children, listen, would see in them what God is like. That through us, they would come to realize that God is a heavenly father to them too. That God is a loving, patient, merciful, kind, trusting, supporting, encouraging father. And our kids are to learn this from us as their parents. You know, the, I think the best thing our kids could say about us is that they see the Lord in us. And they not only love us, but they love the Lord because of us. 
And know this, children are valuable to God. Not for who parents wish they could be one day, but for who they are right now. Remember when dozens of kids flocked to Jesus and they were interrupting the adult conversation? It's adult swim, kids get out of the pool. The disciples asked if they should shoo the kids away. Jesus says, no, don't you dare. The kingdom of heaven is for young children like these. Understand this, that was a shocker in Jesus' day. Kids were viewed as property. They had no rights. They belonged to the parents long after they reached adulthood and they were even married. But Jesus and Paul here point to the value of children. God delights in our children. And, and, And we parents are to not just lovingly admonish and correct our children, we are to nurture them as well. Not overly nurture them like so many parents do today. So many parents want to be their kid's best friend. You'll see how that ends up in the long run. So many parents want to be cool in their kid's eyes. And so they abandon discipline. That is not what Paul is talking about. He is concerned more with how parents, and especially dads, can be overbearing on their kids. And when parents are overbearing and provoking, the kids suffer. Constant criticism and reprimand can be as destructive as no discipline at all. And it can destroy a child's sense of worth. And so here are a few points for us to consider. First, the family is the place where we're to live out our newness in Christ. Remember what we were at earlier in chapter 3? I know this has been going on for a while, but maybe keep reading through Colossians. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, it's in the day to come, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christians, this is who we are now, new creations by God's grace. As, as, as Christ has been raised to new life, so too you and me, if you trust in Christ. And now our minds are fixed on things above and on the glory that is now ours in Christ. And also, seeing that you have, remember this, put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Our new lives as Christ's followers are to be ones that continually desire to put off the sinful flesh and put on who we now are in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Christian parents, we must long to live this way. Our eyes raised to heaven and seeking the goodness that is above and then confess our sins and shortcomings and put off the old self and put on the new in how we parent our kids. And part of that setting our minds on things above means we rehearse in our heads and hearts just what God, our Father in heaven, has done for us. As parents, the more we ponder how God parents us, the more we parent with godly intent and effect. So what has God done? How does he parent? Well, 
in the first chapter of Ephesians, we read this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. Why, you can just chew on that for hours. In love, God has predestined us for adoption into his family as sons and daughters through Christ. As Paul wrote in Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. How? Through works? No, through faith. Through trusting in Christ and what he's done for you. Listen, this is what we see is, is Almighty God, creator of the universe, in mercy and grace and love, has forgiven our sins. And if that were all he just did, if that, that was it, that would be wonderful. But he, he did not just forgive us and send us off and out to be alone. No, he adopted us. God is our Father. And he is a good and patient and kind and loving Father. And yes, he disciplines us. But he does, it so, he does so in love. And, and never beyond what is right and good for us. And God does not love us with a conditional love. Sometimes we parents love with conditional love. He doesn't say, say, obey my laws and then I will lavish my love on you. No, he says, look at how I have lavished you with grace. Now respond to my grace by being one who parents with grace. And when this grace captures our hearts, we become those who rejoice with the Apostle John when he writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. This is how God loves us. And so parents, dads, this is your calling. Rest in the love of God. See at what grace, great cost it became yours. Marvel at his mercy that pardons all of your sin and his grace that draws you near as his child. And as you draw near and delight and rest in God's unconditional love for you, live that way in your household with your children. So this morning we've seen that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, calls children to a loving obedience like his, like he lived on earth. And we have seen that God the Father calls parents to lovingly parent like God the Father lovingly parents us. Jesus' lordship must find its expression in the day-to-day routine experience of life in the home. Kids, listen to this. It doesn't matter what you accomplish in life or how much fun you have with your friends if your greatest connection in life to your parents is tarnished. And parents, it matters not how successful your careers are or what prestigious schools your kids get into if your relationship with them is tarnished. The good news for all of us this morning is that in the gospel, we can begin again. We can and should lament and repent of how we have lived and stop making excuses for it. And we respond to God's grace towards us by committing to please Christ with our lives, either as children 
or as parents or both, right? And so certainly, all of us have something to confess to God, something to repent of today, and hopefully we will desire to do this. That by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we will desire to be obedient like our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to love our kids like our Father in heaven loves us and them. So will you take time today and this week to ask God to search your hearts, that he would show you where you fall short and then draw near to Jesus, your great high priest, who was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. For he is able to sympathize with us in our weakness and cleanse us of sin and empower us to live lives that truly please him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a good, good father. And we, your children, have been lavished with your love. We desire to love and obey you in all things. Help us to see how wonderful obedience is in our lives. May your work in us, may you work in us all. May you work in us an obedience that pleases our Lord. And may we who are parents live out that love that you have lavished on us. May our children know how lavishly you love them through how we lavishly love them too. Holy Spirit, work in us all that is pleasing in your sight, we pray. Amen.